All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of the Horsing Around podcast. Andrew Mason, Andy Lindahl, hanging with you. Um, and Andrew, it's been, well, it's been a very, very interesting week. A lot to talk about just simply from the San Diego game and the aftermath alone. But uh, interesting Halloween memories. One game in particular I talked about in my uh, Orange Herd podcast, and I knew you'd remember the date of, I, I fear it was 88, I think, when the Broncos played on a Halloween and things got a little ugly in Indianapolis and Eric Dickerson went wild. But uh, I don't have a lot of memories of Halloween games, but I know you're kind of like our oracle. You're sort of our living, breathing, walking um, museum, if you will, our, our keeper of information. Do you remember any memorable Halloween games from NFL history as far as the actual Halloween night? Halloween night, wow. Um, I think there was a Packers-Bears game, I believe it was in 1994 or thereabouts. Um, there were. I want to say it was the Bears retiring Dick Buckus' jersey, and it was kind of... The, it was a rainy night. The rain was kind of coming down almost sideways at Soldier Field. Just an incredibly ugly night, uh, weather weather-wise, and if I'm not mistaken, an ugly night for the Bears uh, as well, hosting the Packers. I believe it was a Monday night football game. That one jumps out, and as we're talking about this, I'm actually just kind of confirming it here on Pro Football Reference. Yep, there it is. 33-6 loss to the Packers for the Bears on Halloween night. For the Broncos, the Halloween game that I remember, it's not a pleasant one. Uh, it was the Michael Vick game back in 04. They played on a Sunday afternoon. We're 5-2 and two going into the game. And that was one of Michael Vick's signature performances as a pro, it was it was his best year with the Falcons, certainly the best year for him from a team perspective. They went all the way to the NFC Championship that year, but he ran for over 100. I think he passed for another 250, didn't throw an interception, didn't have many incompletions, uh, just sliced and diced the Broncos all, all day. I think Algie Crumpler had a, had a pretty big day at tight end uh, for the Falcons that day as well. And that was one where Jake Plummer had to put up some ungodly numbers because the Broncos fell behind early. That was his, I think, I think that was his 499-yard day that he had. But there were also three picks. Uh, it was also the game, I believe, where Darius Watts caught, dropped a potential touchdown. He did have a touchdown in the game, but he dropped a potential touchdown as well. One that could have proven important, could have helped the Broncos back into it. They end up losing. So that's the one that really jumps out. Other than that, you mentioned 55-23 to the Colts uh, back in 1988. One of a few defensive performances that year that really helped lead to the end of Joe Collier's long and distinguished tenure as defensive coordinator with the Broncos. Halloween, just on first glance in my own mind, doesn't seem like a very kind holiday at the Broncos. Oh, no, it wasn't. And, I, and I'll tell the story. I mean, it used to be. So my dad, as you can imagine, is a huge Bronco fan. 
uh, growing up in the household. He wanted us to go get trick-or-treating over with. You know, we kind of screwed around his kids, as you tend to do. We didn't want to go until it was absolutely dark, because to us, that was the fun of Halloween. And by the time it was time to head out trick-or-treating, he was telling us, hey, this is going to be quick this year. This is going to be quick this year. We're going to move this thing along. The game got off to such a bad start, he all of a sudden wasn't too worried about hustling us through the neighborhood anymore because that thing was out of control quickly. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Do you remember watching it? I know that you're not a Bronco fan, but Eric Dickerson was with the Colts, and all I remember, unfortunately, is that we could not get our hands around that guy. I remember watching... I remember watching the game, the first part of it, because, of course, I was in the Eastern time zone back then living in Florida. And, you know, one of the disadvantages of being a kid in the Eastern time zone is that Monday night football for you was something you rarely made it to the end of. And more often than not, you weren't watching a game past the first quarter. I think... On rare occasions, I would make it into the second quarter. And then the only Monday Night Football game I used to get to watch all the way through was at the holidays. So I remember seeing the beginning of it, and that was it. The other thing I remember, if I'm not mistaken, that was the game because it was Halloween. And, of course, you have to have some fun with it because that's just what what you do and what broadcasters do. I think... That was the game where Frank Gifford, Al Michaels, and Dan Deardorff either all held up masks where they were all Frank or all Al or all Dan, or they held up masks where each one was pretending to be somebody else. I do remember that. Something goofy, yeah. I I think you're right. They were all, I think they were all Frank or something, so. Yeah, if they were going to be anybody, you'd figure it would be all Frank because he was on Monday Night Football the longest and, you know, was the, you know, the, the signature personality of that of my night football at the time so that would that would make the most sense but yeah a a night a night you're not going to want to remember for the broncos and the other thing i think about in indianapolis you know just that's a place where not much good has happened for the broncos over the years i mean yeah they've won a few games in indianapolis over the years but that game just seems like it sort of encapsulates so much of what's been frustrating for the Broncos in their trips to the state of Indiana for decades now. Well, let's not focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, you know, we get a chance to talk about that in December, and hopefully it'll be different this time. Yeah, I'm hoping so, especially with who knows if Andrew Luck's even going to bother playing this year. This is starting to feel like the Peyton Manning year for them. Have you ever been, while we're on the Halloween theme real quickly, have you ever had a Halloween sports-themed costume? Were you ever? I always give you a hard time for being a little Ditka, but, I, and I was trying to remember it. The more, I mean, we all have our... You know, the standard, the ninja. I think everyone, if you're a boy anyway, you're a ninja at least one time during your Halloween career, if you will. Uh, I can remember plastic Star Wars costumes that you bought that usually ripped about five minutes after you get them on. Um, just, I think you remember back in the day, the boxes that the plastic costumes came in with the mask that came with it and something broke before you even got to Halloween. Right. But I think think, uh, I want to say I was Steve Watson one year, but that was about it. Did you ever have like a, did you ever do a, a sports theme or football themed costume? I think the closest thing I ever did to a sports themed costume was I did Charlie Brown, but specifically Charlie Brown playing baseball. 
So I had I had a Charlie Brown costume, but I had the cap and I and I added the glove to it. And I mean, just I mean, if you're gonna pick a more hapless figure in sports to be I I don't think you could than the guy who lost every game he ever pitched he was kind of Bartman before Bartman if you will (laughs) all right well uh, let's get to some of the issues uh, of the matter at hand and and I kind of give the big sigh I guess what bothers me about this week has been and I understand it I'm not knocking Bronco fans they've been in full panic mode you and I work on orange and blue 760 uh, for those on the podcast, um, you know, here's the bottom line. You can hear Andrew 10 to noon every day on Orange and Blue 760. I'm on 7 to 10 with Tyler Plumbus. You're on with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. We've heard the fans. We've heard Broncos country speak out. Um, and here's the situation. There's a lot of panic. People aren't happy with the offense. There's been talk about changing the quarterback. I get all that. But you and I were kind of talking about it. I mean, it's... It's an ugly year for offenses. I don't know why. Adam Schefter tweeted out after the game, and this isn't going to make anybody feel any better about the fact that we still lost to San Diego and the division standings look like they look, and this Kansas City is more of a must-win than I think we'd all like it to be. Uh, But the bottom line is there were seven teams, seven teams Sunday, that did not score a touchdown. That was Adam Adam Schefter's stat of the day on Monday. Seven teams didn't score a touchdown. Two of them played each other. Sadly, I mean, you couldn't punish the people of Cleveland anymore. Not only did they have to watch the Browns lose and lose in overtime, but they had to do it uh, as the Browns lost to Tennessee in a game that was 12-9. to They didn't even get to see a touchdown score by either side that day. So that was kind of the final punishment for Cleveland. Any theory, though, as to why the offenses maybe aren't what they have been in the past this year? Yeah, everything's coming home to roost. And when I say everything, I mean the the cutting of practice time and in particular full contact practice time in training camp, uh, putting a specific limit on the time you can put into OTAs and then going farther back to the college ranks the way the game looks in college and even in high school with the proliferation of spread schemes and how the college game is no longer analogous to the pro game. Whereas you went, you go back even 10 years, but certainly 20 and 30 and more of the concepts translated from the college game to the pro game, especially in terms of, the passing game, and what offensive linemen do. There are so few schools at the college level that do things in terms of the passing game and in, in particular in terms of blocking schemes that translate to the pros, and that's creating a longer learning curve for players, and it's becoming tougher and tougher to project players to the next level and then when those players get in it's it's tough for them to make the transition and i think it's not one of these things in terms of the the lack of time uh less contact in practices in training camp practices the scheme i think it's all of it put together is creating offensive play that frankly is unwieldy and a bit of a mess more so than we've seen in some time 
And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of good offensive football in terms of points on the board in recent years, but we've also seen the last three or four years, we've seen the quality of offensive linemen coming into the league, at least as far as how ready they were to contribute kind of drop. I mean, it's it's rare that you see guys ready to step in. I mean, Garrett Bowles is kind of the exception to the rule, but Utah, even though they do some spread co- concepts in their offense, Utah actually is one of the few schools that in terms of uh, some of the principles they have in their blocking, it does translate to the NFL. So he was, you know, while maybe it's not at the level like a Wisconsin or Alabama, was ahead of where most guys would be. And that's certain, even though he struggled on Sunday in Los Angeles, the fact that he's been able to step in and be a left tackle, I think part of it is because he came from out of Utah rather than uh, one of many other schools that he could have gone to. So I think all of that, frankly, is just coming home to roost and we're seeing it in the product right now, which at times it's a pain, it's painful to watch. And I think Thursday night's game, it was a, it was a blowout. Miami, Miami had, you know, has had offensive issues all year, really, except for the Jets game on Sunday. But you mentioned what Adam Schefter tweeted about Sunday. Just offenses league-wide, for the most part, there's there, there's execution struggles to a degree that we haven't seen in, in recent years. And I wonder if that's going to uh, continue increasing uh, until or unless – the style of offense changes in the league, and, and maybe it's we're going to have to see more college-style concepts used in the NFL simply because that's where they that's where the game is headed, and it and it makes the transition easier for players coming out of the college game. I don't know what the situation the, the solution is though. Yeah, Andrew, it's tough, and it's interesting because um, you got Joe Staley on the block that was brought up uh, on Wednesday, anyway Thursday, I guess it was. NFL.com reported, hey. The Niners will at least consider trading Joe Staley. Now they're putting out there it's going to be a considerable price. You and I talked about it on the Orange Blue 760 Morning Show, Columbus and Lindahl, where I broke it down for Tyler. I said, because, you know, Tyler is in the middle of playing. He's not worried about these kind of things. But you and I both remember, and I'm curious to get your take. For me, uh, I think the Joe Staley situation is an interesting one because in Cleveland, I didn't really understand until we went to Cleveland just what Joe Staley was to Cleveland. He's really all they've got, and until they figure out a quarterback, he's the face of what that team is. I've never seen a stadium show up to watch an offensive lineman play, uh, but they do, and Joe Staley's all over the place, and a lot of the season tickets because the, the fan base identifies with this guy that's never given up on him. I mean, I can understand the love of that, certainly. We had it with Todd Helton. Um, I, I can understand why they show up to maybe watch him a little bit to have him, but to have him be the focal point, that was kind of a, it was something that was startling not, and surprising to me, but I never felt like because of that, Cleveland would really trade Joe Staley. I was surprised that the Joe Staley Joe or Joe Thomas, excuse me. I got to just start calling him Thomas and, and uh, Staley because it's confusing <laughs> me. Anyway, I, I couldn't believe we got as close to Thomas as we reportedly did afterwards. And by reportedly, I mean even your own reporting. With with Joe Staley, though, of the Niners, I don't think he is a centerpiece. I don't think that's a fan base that cares if you keep him or trade him or whatever else because 
They're a championship town that is looking for you to return to a championship level. Uh, it doesn't seem like maybe they're as uh, invested in the team as maybe Cleveland is or whatever. I feel like San Francisco will take what they can get for them, whereas with Cleveland and Joe Thomas, it, they, they pretty much, you really did have to pry Thomas out of Cleveland. Nobody could do it. I don't think it's going to be the same thing with Staley if they choose to trade him. Do you? Yeah, I don't think so either, even though you've heard reports and rumblings that San Francisco is going to want a pretty uh, re- pretty. Uh, Maybe not a hefty price, but certainly a significant price for Joe Staley uh, if they go ahead and trade him. So for a 33-year-old left tackle, even though you know he's healthy and he's got another couple of years on his contract, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I give up all that much at this point if I'm on the market looking for a tackle uh, just because of the age and the injury risk that sets in. At that at that point, and also, you know, what it would cost you uh, relative to the salary cap, uh, and this is true for any team that may be looking at, at tackle. I, I certainly wouldn't give a first round pick for Joe Staley at this point, quite frankly, just because of the age. I mean, thir- a first round pick for a thirty three year old player who's not a quarterback. That's something that personally I couldn't rationalize, and even a low first round pick. And when we talked about this. Uh, on Orange and Blue 760 on Thursday morning, I did say, you know, it could be a low first-round pick that a team would look at for Staley rather than a mid-first-round pick. A a low pick, like a 29, 30, 31, 32, maybe there could be some logic there, but even then, if it were me as the general manager, I'm not sure I'd pull that trigger. I would try to, if I was a team that was looking at my first-round pick being in that conference championship Super Bowl range of 29 to 32, I'd still try to gets Staley for a two if that's the player I was targeting just because of the age factor. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if anything even happens with them. Of course, the trade deadline is Tuesday uh, coming up after the Kansas City game. I guess another thing I've got to get your take on, Tyler and I had kind of a healthy debate about this. Tyler said if the Broncos lose, they don't need to be buyers anymore to Kansas City, that you just see what the season is. To me, and for the reasons that you just laid out as far as how bad the offensive football has been around the league this year, with this defense, I don't care if you lose to Kansas City or not. To me, uh, if if you lose to Kansas City, what it signals is you're probably not gunning for the division anymore, but you're still gunning for a wild card. You're only going to be at worst 3-4 and four if that scenario were to play out. If you feel like there's a move to be made that makes you better and maybe gives you some more options on the offensive line with all that's gone on there this year, Andrew, I don't care if you lose to Kansas City or not. I'm exploring those because like you and I talked about, just get me in the tournament and let me see where this defense and hopefully an improved offense that's found its rhythm by that point can take me. Well, I I was thinking today about potential playoff teams and thinking about them relative to New England because even with the Dante Hightower injury that – we learned about Thursday. It's fair to call the Patriots a favorite, I, I think. And I, I don't know, would you agree with me on that? Yeah, they're, they're certainly rounding into form, but I don't know if that defense is going to be what it's been in the past. Now, maybe it will be because, you know, Belichick is, of course, we like to call him the warlock on our show, Palomas and Lindahl. He's just the dark arts master there where he shows up and finds a way to will things out of people. You know, he's going to go find a Domino's pizza boy and make him a safety, and it'll somehow work out. The one guy that apparently played at some little Rhode Island school none of us knew about, now he's turned him into an all-pro safety. 
But honestly, I, I think even though they fix things and they're in pretty good shape, I still don't think that the defense is at the level it's been in the past, and the playoffs are about defensive football. But I would call them the favorite with the Chiefs maybe being 1B right now. Yeah. The reason why I say that is if they're the favorite, and I put the Chiefs in there, I put the Steelers in there too. But just viewing it in a Patriot-centric prism because they're the defending champions what teams have gone into new england during this tom brady belichick run and beaten them in the postseason in foxborough it's been the ravens and the jets when they had rex ryan neither of those teams set the world on fire at quarterback but they could run the ball and they could play lights out pressure defense and that's why you said with the Broncos, just get in. Can you find a way to get in? The other team that I would say fits that mold right now is Jacksonville. And that, they intrigue me, even though they're one week on, one week off. They can get pressure with that defense, with that front four that they've supplemented with Malik Jackson and Calais Campbell the last couple of years in free agency. Jalen Ramsey at cornerback looks like he's one of the three or four best in the league right now, a true lockdown corner. And they can they can run the ball with Leonard Fournette and even without Fournette. Now it was against the Colts who are dreadful, but they had a dominant running game against the Colts even without Fournette at their disposal. So those are the teams, the Jaguars and the Broncos, the two teams that actually have the equation to go into Foxborough and win in January if they can get in. Well, and of those two teams, you can't tell me you're not trusting a Trevor Simeon because assuming if they get in to the playoffs, they'll have gotten some better things figured out on the offensive line and some better protection. And I trust Trevor more than I trust Blake Bortles when it comes to the quarterback position. Yeah, if you have to throw, exactly. The the Jaguars, some of their game plans, I think, the the second half of the season may look a little bit like the Chicago Bears against the Panthers last week. may not be only seven throws, as John Fox pulled off with Mitchell Trubisky, but it might be ten passes, eleven passes. I can see them going going in that direction if that's what it takes – uh, for the Jags to kind of baby that thing home and uh, and and win the AFC South, which I, I think it's in their hands to take as long as Blake Bortles doesn't immolate himself with turnovers. Okay, so let's get to this Chiefs game coming up. And with Kansas City, I thought it was interesting. Going back to your points about the college offensive concepts that maybe you've got to put in a little bit more of and maybe you've got to rethink how you do a pro style offense because you know you just have offensive linemen and I think of all the factors you meant you named and you're absolutely right the spread going from high school all the way up to the pro level and and honestly it's kind of funny Andrew I was at my son's last flag football game of the season last Saturday and the team that he played I mean it's a eight-year-old flag football league we've basically seen a lot of football that would make Vince Lombardi proud most weeks where you just hand the football off and it's a cloud with four yards and a cloud of dust or whatever 
Um, we did have one team this very late. They were literally motioning three or four kids out to the wide receiver spot and trying to throw screen passes with two guys blocking in a eight-year-old flag football league. And I thought to myself, we truly are trying to play a different kind of football. Um, and, and it just is amazing to me that, that even at that low a level, this is some of the stuff that we're looking at. But then you look at Andy Reid. And he takes some of these concepts and he starts putting them in. And with the speed of Tyreek Hill and the bruising nature of the running that they're getting out of the running back position right now with Kareem Hunt uh, and Alex Smith just not making mistakes until the last two weeks, and hopefully the Broncos can keep that going. Uh, it's a fun offense to watch. I'll give you. I'll give you that. But I don't know that some of this college influence and Andy Reid as in his offense right now is really going to work come December. Well, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, and. It didn't work last January against Pittsburgh. They end up losing in the divisional round, although there are other things that you could certainly point to. You could point to a a, a dawdling a little bit too much on what they hoped would be a game-tying drive, Uh, then a penalty on two-point conversion. But that being said, you know, it hasn't won in January yet. doesn't mean it can't get there. But Andy Reid has never been shy, especially since he got to Kansas City, about putting some different uh, uh, influences in, in the offense. Was it a few years ago that he had uh, uh, Chris Alt, the old, uh, the former Nevada coach, who was kind of the, the, the father of the pistol offense in kind of as a consultant when they brought Alex Smith in to kind of put in some pistol concepts when they were trying to get that offense going? I mean, he'll – He'll take different ideas from a lot of different schools of thought. I think it's interesting. You mentioned the flag football game, and they're trying like some spread type stuff, and you know screens to the outside. If a lo- if football ends up becoming a lower contact version of itself because of you know head trauma issues and things like that, the spread stuff may actually be the future of the game in ways that we haven't even conceived yet. Yeah, I'll tell you, though, asking uh, eight-year-olds to throw in what was a windy, cold day, probably not the best idea, though. Yeah, so they were, this was Thursday afternoon then when it, the, the cold front was moving through and snow was right behind it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this was last Saturday's game, but if you remember, well, you live oh, okay. by the foothills, and I'm telling you, the wind comes yeah. whipping off the foothills, and it just was – I don't know that it was ideal for high school teams to be trying to throw the football in some <laughs> of the windy conditions we had, much less these eight-year-olds. Um, in the last few minutes that we have here, just break it down for me, Andrew. I mean, for me, I think Mike McCoy needs to maybe give give up some of his three wide receiver concepts for the moment. Not not for the year, not forever, not you know whatever. But to me, I do think you have to dedicate extra protection. I think you've got to be almost pigheaded about running the football, and I think you've got to make sure that this pass rush doesn't get a free a free fire at Trevor Simeon, and if you have to, you just go and win yourself a 9-6 to ball game if that's what it takes. Yeah. A win is a win at this point, and I don't think you care how it happens. If it's 9-6, 10-6, 13-10, 10-10, if it looks quote-unquote ugly, I don't think you're, you're worried about it. You have to run the football, and if that means you've got to go two tight ends to have – that extra body in there to block, so be it. And look, you're going to see teams continue to stack the box against this offense. 
until it proves that it can respond to it. So use that to your advantage. So you've got two tight ends. You do go attack the box with those extra blockers. But then if you've got that set up, at some point you should have the one-on-one matchup on the outside involving Demarius Thomas perhaps. And if you can run the ball effectively, and I'm, and maybe this isn't an expl- a series of explosive runs, but I'm talking about getting getting enough push to where you've got the unscheduled runs. You know, a three or four yard run on first down, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that at all. Keeps you on schedule. What's killing you right now is that in the last couple of games, you've had too many of the no gain, one yard runs on first down. Whereas in the first four weeks, you saw on first down steady runs, three yards, four yards, five yards. Keep the they kept the offense churning. Exactly what you wanted. You can, if you can get back to a situation where the offense is at least staying on schedule, then you set up the opportunity for the play action. And Demarius Thomas against a gambling cornerback like a Marcus Peters, a 50-50 ball. You know, Peters, he'll get some picks, but he'll also gamble, and he'll pay for that gamble. And that's where you can get your explosive play. That can be there. And you go back to last Sunday in Los Angeles, if not for a dubious, at best, pass interference call, you're talking about a 50-50 play to Marius Thomas that could have changed the game. So the opportunity, the opportunities are there. You've just got to hope that they go your way at some point. All right, Andrew. Hopefully everybody has a happy and safe Halloween. We'll talk about the game next week, stay where we're at, as it's going to be a short week and a quick turnaround as the Broncos head for the early game in Philadelphia as this road trip finally wraps up. And then it's the Patriots. No big deal on the horizon after. It's just been a brutal middle of the uh, schedule here, but it lightens up after this. For Andrew Mason, I'm Andy Lindahl. Thanks for listening to Horsing Around here on DenverBroncos.com.